You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K.A. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Welcome back to another episode of VHS Gems, the Geek Elite Media Podcast in which we open up the treasure box of nostalgia video cassette films from our childhoods and deem whether or not they are the shiny sparkly diamonds as we remember or whether or not they're lumps of coal that like should go away forever and be destroyed <laughs> or something. Uh, this is Jessica of Geekly, and joining with me is John. Hello. And we are here to talk about the 1986 film, Short Circuit. Oh, I thought we were going to watch Not Quite Human. Not Quite Human? Oh, I don't know about that. It's uh, a Disney. Is it Disney? <laughs> the Disney... 80s ones and 70s ones i i'm not good on there's so many but especially their sci-fi ones but yeah it was kind of bad actually was it well it's either really really good okay or really bad if it's a disney film yeah there's a reason you haven't heard of it or are not familiar with it yeah probably. i'd i'd believe that uh short short circuit is a fairly I would say it's a well-known film of our yeah. gems. It's, it's not. It, it it wasn't popular enough to be like a mainstream hit, but it wasn't like unknown enough to be a cult classic. It's like in this weird middle ground where it was just like good or okay. It was, it was an 80s sci-fi film. That's... <laughs> I apparently got it confused with another film in my head because I thought it had a kid in it as the lead. Like like he ran into a kid, not a woman who owned a bunch of animals. Like I thought it was a kid that made short circuit. Well, made number five, number five and sentient. Um, yeah, there's yeah. no shortage of 80s movies that... Feature a child and a robot. That is that is <laughs> but fair. This was not that one. Yeah. Well, I feel bad because apparently it's one of my mom's favorite movies from the eighties, and she doesn't like a ton of sci-fi too. So it was kind of mm. surprising. So she wanted to make sure she watched it with me, and then also I I made my dad watch it with us too. So <laughs> made it a family affair this time. <laughs> Well, it's a nice family movie with some slightly risque humor, which now I'm like, 
oh yeah, like that this shows some bad influences starting to sprout in six year old me when this came out. <laughs> just a just a little bit. But I think that is a lot for the movies of like older times, like eighties and seventies is you look at their rating and it's like just PG. But if they did the ratings for it now, it would be like rated R. (laughs) Yeah. 16 candles has like full on boobs in it. I'm like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. that was interesting. You just need a little parental guidance for that. Yeah. Like your mom has to be there to like cover your eyes, (laughs) make things even more weird. That's what, maybe that's what it was in the 80s. It was like, how long does mom need to cover the kid's eyes? And that's what we're determined where it's you at. Know, I, re- I remember <laughs> seeing a poster, like a cartoon poster that's supposed to give you an idea of what the ratings mean. So G has like a baby, a child, like a teenager, a mom, and like an old person, like all sitting in a row. Mm-hmm. And then PG-13, the two little kids are gone and you have like a teenage looking kid with the parent next to them and so yeah. on. I think it was a joke picture though, because it does go all the way into like the triple X rating. And uh, then it just has like just people in like cloaks or basically people in cloaks. Like, yeah, that coats. sounds like a joke. Uh, but interesting. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure the rules of it change all the time. But, but yeah, but yeah, we watched 1986 short circuit film about a robot that goes through a short circuit and <laughs> becomes sentient and says i'm alive like frankenstein's monster yeah but. there's references to frankenstein's monster in this movie and in the sequel and my daughter called this movie tall wally tall wally oh he does make <laughs> me think of wally and i love wally so well, he's got those really expressive large eyes that's why yeah i'm wondering treads. If it was intentional to make Wally look kind of like short circuit, at least with the eyes, because. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the people involved in making Wally were influenced by this movie as children and were like, mm-hmm. someday I'm going to make my own short circuit. Yeah. And that's usually what happens, too. And, you know, a lot of yeah. works is the previous generation gets inspired by something and then they make their own version of it. Yep. Um, so. Anything you want to say before we dig into the plot a little? Mm. Yes, this movie popularized the song Who's Johnny by El DeBarge. Who's Johnny? And my name being John. um, Kids would really just think that they were clever by always telling me, hey, who's Johnny? And I was like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, from the movie. I get it. So that was the the only downside to this film, I think, is just the association of the name and people thinking they were clever. I would just start singing it anytime anybody said it, like just really obnoxiously. Yeah. I thought the video was cool, though. It's like a courtroom, and I think they have Ali Sheedy in it as uh, yeah. her, her character from the movie. And I think uh, the, 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 the security guy... Schroeder. Schroeder. There we go. He had a name that was kind of like weird to say. Like it feels like a bad word. Yeah. The the not Indian guy played by Fisher Stevens calls him Scrotum at one point. I was like, that's why they have him like that because they need to make that joke. 
Yeah, that's true. And we we probably should also mention that, as you kind of sort of mentioned just now, that there is a Indian character played by Kevin Keith something. Where is it? Uh, oh, Fisher oh, Stevens. Totally off. <laughs> Fisher Stevens. Kevin. Jeez. How great are you with names? Horrible. Um, well, Kevin was one of the names that Johnny Five considered for himself at the end. So that's probably right. why it was in your mind. Maybe that's what it was. So um, it was an Indian character played by Fisher Stevens, which if you can't tell from that name, <laughs> is a white man. Um, this and- is his second appearance on VHS Trims, by the way. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he also played a uh, stereotypical Italian New Yorker in uh, my science project. Shut up. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so this white dude is just <laughs> He'd be totally canceled today. Yeah, that. like <laughs> cuz cuz that character was completely over the top Italian stereotype yeah. as well. Like Thick. Like, and, hey, what you got over here? What's going on? Hey. Yeah, and in this one, they do. I did see on the Wikipedia page because that's just all I generally feel I need to look at. Um, <laughs> um, he was he had to wear contacts over his blue eyes, and they even darkened his skin. That you can tell. To play that this was role, pretty- and you can tell. And it's, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, you know what though. And, and this may be racist, so I'm prepared for the backlash on this. You're going to get canceled. Don't get us canceled. I like this podcast. <laughs> but his hair is on point. I was like, that looks like the haircut that an Indian dude would have. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, I guess it's very stereotypical. Very, very stereotypical. Just the way he talks to... And it was honestly one of the first things my dad said <laughs> while watching it was like, hey, that guy's not really an Indian. And I was like, gee, I wouldn't know by the very horribly thick, fake accent. <laughs> That's just so stereotypical. <laughs> Clearly, this must be actually played by a white male. Like, you know, that there's. I, I like to think that racism works on, on certain levels. Like, obviously, by the time we got to the 1960s, blackface was considered very taboo at that point but yet here into yeah, the but 80s yet, what, white men still often did it at oh well yeah they got but, in trouble with it when they became politicians later on but yes. yeah well i mean that's that's why you shouldn't be doing that in the first place yeah but it felt like even though we were starting to get more progressive with africans we weren't quite there yet with like the indians because we still had these very stereotypical i mean frank hank azaria voiced a poo on the simpsons until very recently like only within the last few years i think and at that point i mean we've had three decades of the simpsons before somebody was like hey maybe that's not a good idea yeah maybe it's not maybe you should just get somebody who actually (laughs) has the voice to do the character or the look to do the character that's, or that's, the culture to do the character. If that's kind of what they're saying. Especially yeah. And nowadays, especially if you can, like there's really like nowadays with the amount of actors that we have that are pretty decent, like there's no reason to not get somebody from the culture that you're filming. Yeah. About. And there's or at least no close to that culture. Like the, there is no shortage of Indian actors. Bollywood is like incredibly huge it's so, so huge i'm gonna start i'm gonna start watching bollywood shows and movies. there's some cool stuff i got interested cool in stuff. bollywood with uh ghost world when they had that one song in the intro 
was like, what is this craziness? And then I saw the video for it from the movie it's from. I was like, dude, this is crazy cool. And I was like, this is like, had like a totally Tarantino vibe because all the musicians have those little black masks like the crazy 88s do. Oh, yeah. And uh, mm. yeah, it's John Peichang Ho, I think is what that one's called. Interesting. And I remember that only because it was also in a Heineken commercial. For some reason, they mm. had it in the original language. And then they redid it with English lyrics that were terrible. <laughs> I was like, oh, this this sucks. This is probably some dumb people complain, like, why are you using this song with lyrics we don't understand? And don't they're like, well, we already paid for the rights to the music. We might as well just reuse it and just put um, like English lyrics. <laughs> and it's bad. It's really, really bad. Yeah. Dubs are not. No. <laughs> but yes, on to the plot the of the movie. <laughs> on, to, on to the plot of the movie. I just didn't want to like brush over that there was yeah some brown face <laughs> brown face yes all right so Nova Laboratory which Nova <laughs> it, um which has the scientist Newton Crosby played by I really wish I had the names next to Steve Gutenberg Steve Gutenberg which was one of my crushes from Police Academy I love Steve Gutenberg. So cute. He's also in a film with Kirsten Dunst for a Disney Channel original movie, The Tower of Terror. And I absolutely love that Disney Channel original movie. Um, So in case you're wondering, but yeah, I I do like him. Um, I don't know if he was well casted for this, though, because I feel like he's too charismatic to play a character that supposedly hates people. But <laughs> yeah, he right off the bat, he seems like a really affable kind of person. And he's all saying, like, I don't like talking to these people and brushing elbows with the big wigs or whatever. I just want to yeah. work on my computer stuff. I was like, no, yeah, you look no, like you... you would love to be schmoozing with everyone. In there. I know. Right. Like, it, like you're saying these things. You're not showing these things, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he has a sense of humor, too. He teaches his robot to flip off the the Indian guy. Yep. And was like, yeah. Yeah. Come on, somebody yeah. who's well. Has- I mean, not liking people doesn't mean you can't have a sense of humor. But, <laughs> but I was more thinking like the way they were describing this character, which I mean, you really wouldn't know a lot. But he was almost like, like autistic spectrum kind of like from the description of it. Like doesn't like social. Like it seemed like being in social settings gives him anxiety. Like before yeah. you even meet him, you get this line from uh, Ben Harvey that he's already throwing up at the thought of seeing people or something like that there's something said kind of like that and but then you meet him and he's just like it seems more like he's just he just doesn't want to deal with the politics of it as opposed to actually getting anxiety from being in crowds of people yeah (laughs) it looks like it's more he doesn't approve that the technology is being used for warfare he just likes the technology for the sake of its own advancement yeah. But he looks down on his supervisor and on the military because they're like, you're taking all this cool technology, you just want to use it for death, basically. Yeah. Although it doesn't get that deep into it, but that's essentially like, yeah, that's, that's essentially it. Like, it really doesn't get that deep into the human characters. It does get pretty deep into our robot, number five, who is coming up. So, um, Newton Crosby built these robots called S A I N T Saint. Um, strategic artificial intelligent nuclear transport. I don't know if why nuclear is in there because it was l- like lasers. Well, they mentioned <laughs> in the 
the little meeting that they have with a little uh like after party when they got rained out Mm-hmm. That general guy is talking about how, like, imagine after your airstrike, you know, clears the area, you send in one of these guys with a nuclear warhead right up to, like, Main Street of Moscow oh. or something. So I guess they are meant to deliver. Oh, I guess, I guess they are delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Ding like, literally, like, bomb. hand it over like a parcel <laughs> or something. Here you go. <laughs> but it is interesting that they show them with this incredibly sophisticated laser system, which, side note, a little bit mm-hmm. of trivia, the sound effect for the laser is the same sound for the proton packs from Ghostbusters. Ooh. So that was, uh, it makes sense because they were both uh, TriStar Columbia movies. So I was like, okay, they probably just reused your assets. Probably why we also have two police academy actors in this. That's ah. a whole different thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was thinking... Why waste all your time and money with the robot part of this? Those lasers look like they're pretty like good to go. Just like, why not just stick them on an armband on some soldier yeah. and just ping, yeah. ping, ping. literally you taking out things left and it, right. It's like you're making Ghostbuster proton packs, but having to also build a robot to carry it around. I was like, no, put that on a backpack and have a soldier carry it. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Just have a soldier do it. No, must get the robots because robots cost money. And robots need to happen. <laughs> yep, robots need to happen. Please, Tesla, stop working on your smart robots. Yeah, I just saw that today, literally before we started <laughs> recording, and I'm like, why? why? Why is this a thing? Why? Why is this a thing? <laughs> Which, um, so, you know what? Side what? note. <laughs> if you see those Boston Dynamic videos of how they started training those like four-legged robots to like learn to walk yes. and at first they look like baby deer like they can yes. barely keep themselves straight and yes. then as they start getting more advanced over the years like this has been going on for like well over 10 years now i think mm-hmm. you see like the the people testing them they're like kicking them over and knocking them with stuff to see how sturdy they are like, those robots are gonna stop. remember all this they're gonna, remember this <laughs> they're gonna come back when back they're like remember we used to kick me around uh, remember and they're going to have perfect balance and like you won't even be able to tip them over anymore. They're going to like take revenge. That's what's going to happen. Robots yeah. don't forget. I know. I think that way. Like robots don't forget. But I'm also that type of person that apologizes to the table when I bump into it. So <laughs> they'll, like, leave, they'll leave you sorry. for last. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it starts out with them showing five of these saint robots doing a typical display of we can blow stuff up ooh, to a crowd of senators and military people and I assume a little bit of press and but also it can make you a perfect gin and tonic made just the way the owner of this person I don't even remember his name what was the Marner, owner something name? like that Marner yeah yeah Marner just the, just the way he likes it um shaken not stirred so I guess that was a James Bond reference I, I know, which that drove me nuts because you don't shake or even <laughs> gin stir a gin and tonic. So I was like, which is where you'll get like the best eye roll. From, <laughs> where it's just like, you don't even shake or stir yeah, a gin and tonic. There's combination involved. Like, pour it. You pour it and you drink it. And that's uh, maybe you stir it yourself a little bit if you like it to be more even balanced. But generally, you don't have to. But anyway. I was like, why? As they all go inside to talk the things of whether or not they're going to approve Saint for military use, um, 
there is a really random lightning storm that comes out of, I think, nowhere, it seems like, because it goes away pretty quickly, too. And it hits the place that the robots are all charging at, and number five gets short-circuited, I guess, is what that's called, where you just get electrified as a robot. Well, I mean, I feel like it would have been more technically accurate to call it power surge instead of short circuit, but... Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I guess technically the lightning bolt overfried his systems, and uh, I think what we're supposed to take away from it, and it kind of happens later on more specifically, mm-hmm. is that he overrides, because they are supposed to be artificially intelligent. So yeah. That's never a good I, idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking it that that's supposed to mean that they can kind of come up with, in, like, you know, tactics on the fly and they learn. Uh-huh. So it, I'm assuming what we're supposed to take away from this, if you really look into it, is that this took away whatever governor or, like, software block they had to not think too much. Yeah. And therefore it kind of reset him and now his ai was like that's why he was like input input and like it needs to learn now because it's like starting from scratch and Mm -hmm. it's the ai was sophisticated enough i'm assuming that it could like develop conscious yeah and yeah that's pretty much what happens is he like basically the beginning it's like he's like a very young toddler like he can't walk the correct way he can't like do sharp turns or anything he he can read though, but it's very broken in his reading. I guess like he's not comprehending fully. Yeah. And then eventually he, so eventually, so he escapes through just a series of random happenstance <laughs> of being pushed onto a trash truck Some and getting out mishaps. just in time before they realize really that he's getting out. So while Newton and the security guys are all freaking out over the robot being gone, he non-intentionally sneaks out. And as they try to find him, they end up pushing him off a bridge somehow, kind of accidentally launching him off the bridge, which I think was hilarious that they were in those heavily armored trucks because this is a robot that no longer has its programming but has a laser that can blow up a tank on it. Um and who knows if it's going to just randomly use it like you don't you don't give a toddler a laser because I mean and they're going to randomly was, use it that was that was the military's response when they found out it was gone they were like there's this robot with a super dangerous weapon out there like it's what what if it melts down a bus full of nuns and then the indian guy says well then you'd have nun soup you'd have nun soup <laughs> but um nope. but <laughs> nope so the military's like worry about him potentially being dangerous is well founded. The response yeah. is what's the the real like really like we're just gonna go in and nuke it like <laughs> essentially just, he was wanted to destroy it. Yeah, just <laughs> nuke it. That's our answer to everything. Um, and that was a well, big thing in we the eighties. Really scared about the Cold War. Well, because we were under the Cold War still, and we were just all waiting all around the world to get nuked eventually after True seeing the that. devastation of it. And I think Steve Gutenberg to kind of tie it back around. He, I think he was in that made-for-TV movie the day after, 
was it the day after? I, do I think not that's know. what it was called. Yeah, the it was a made-for-TV movie in the '80s that was all about like a fictional like this is what would happen if like we went into a nuclear war with Russia. Like Fallout. And it basically shows yeah like the population that wasn't immediately destroyed dying of radiation sickness over a period of time basically. <sighs> um, and yeah, it was pretty traumatic. I think there was an entire episode of the Goldbergs about it, how like everybody became really freaked out by it. Oh, radiation sickness scares the crap out of me. And I learned about it in, why did I learn about it in school, in college? I can't remember what class I learned about it in initially. Probably unethical studies or something like that, I imagine. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite depictions of radiation sickness is in one of my, I don't know if it's a favorite movie, but I definitely would recommend it to people that are even a little bit curious about this kind of subject matter called Fat Man and Little Boy about okay. the, the Manhattan Project, the creation of oh, okay. the, the two uh, bombs from World War II. So they had this one character played by John Cusack. Laura Dern's yeah. also in it. Oh. Um, and he's he's a fictional character, but almost everything that's being shown in the movie is somewhat factional, Fact, factional, factual, factual. <laughs> factional. Yeah. I was like, I um, did not know if you were trying to say fictional or not. <laughs> no. It's a fictional character, but with factual uh, surroundings or events, he's okay. part of like of an amalgamation of different real people, um, and. There's this one moment when they're doing some experiments on what's called the the, the demon core, which was mm-hmm. this like solid ball of plutonium that they were yeah. uh, w- was left over from the Manhattan Project. So they were just trying to do some like radiation experiments, and the setup was what you would call very um, unprofessional, because <laughs> basically well, they were just kind of using like a very light shielding around it. Well, I think I actually know this. I think this actually happened before we actually knew what radiation poisoning was. Yeah, this happens a lot. The, yeah, and and it's basically is because I think I watched this on a show. Oh, what is the show? Dark science, dark matters. Dark science sounds like the name of a show. Yeah, well, it's a it's a it's on like the Science Channel or something, but it stars the guy from. <laughs> I'm blanking on the show. Star Trek Next Generation? No, it was like a sci-fi show not that long ago. Fringe, I think. Mm, are you talking? Oh, you're talking about Dark Matters. Yeah, Dark Matters. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, because it starred the the dad character from Fringe. Mm. <laughs> and he tells you about the Dark Matters. And he, he showed... That, which I mean, I can't remember the details of it, but that during the Manhattan Project, we didn't know what radiation poisoning was. So this scientist is just sitting in the room with pure plutonium. And then we quickly find out. But even then, we weren't for sure, like, why it was happening or anything. It was just like, you don't learn it can kill you till you learn it can kill you by it killing you. And it's horrifying. It's, it's a horrifying. It's like your cells ripping apart inside of you. Yeah, basically. It's like taking a shotgun blast to your DNA and then just having to live with that for the rest of your short life afterwards. Yeah, pretty much. And just horrible pain. Um, Another really good, I guess, kind of along the version of fictional yet factual uh, things about like what nuclear fallout looks like or radiation poisoning is, um, losing my voice, is the Chernobyl series on HBO. Oh, yeah. It, it yeah, is that's... amazing. I never, ever want to watch it again because 
Nuclear Fallout is one of my well, worst fears. You know, I, but I, it is such a great show. So I feel good. like we did have some understanding, maybe not to the full extent because you know it was more modern. But I, I distinctly remember when Marie Curie um, was dying of radiation sickness. Um, yeah, they realized like, oh, like the stuff she was experimenting with was really bad, and to the point where. I think in her last days, like she had to be behind like three feet of glass or something crazy like that. Like just something where like yeah. nobody could eventually come near her because she was just so irradiated. She was, and even yeah. now her notes and like her personal effects that she had at the time have to be like contained in like lead lined mm-hmm. like storage units because they're so irradiated. So yeah, yeah. radiation is no joke. Yeah. So like we kind of knew, but what Marie Curie was working on, like it was radiation, but it wasn't plutonium because plutonium was plutonium. more pure form of it. And we have yeah. like this idea always that the purer of it, the better it is or the cleaner it is. <laughs> it's just not, yeah, not no, quite true. No, it's uh, it's exactly the wrong thing here in this case. Yeah. One, one of my favorite things to point out is like in the early 1900s. No, not early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s, they were dealing with an issue of morphine addiction. And so they decided to purify morphine to make it to like help these people with their addiction. And they basically just created heroin and gave heroin to people <laughs> thinking it would cure their addiction. And I was like, here you go. Here you go. Here's a, here's a more addicting substance. But the, but the whole thought was like, maybe if we purify it more it'll be less addicting that's not like the word pure means angelic like no it's no okay anyway let's get back (laughs) to um number five who is found by stephanie speck she is an animal caregiver she has i thought she was like dr doolittle's niece or something because she had every single animal in her house a hawk a skunk a A raven she pet a a raccoon on her front porch and i was yeah. like oh can you do that like yes raccoons uh, i mean only if they don't have rabies but yeah raccoons can kind of sort of be domesticated it's not recommended but yeah but they can be nice i mean any animal that you're nice to can be nice to you like it's just because i mean i actually saw a tiktok where a guy became friends with a raven and like the raven like flew onto his arm and it was just i was so jealous i was like i want to be friends with the raven i love ravens but um she also had a raven on her porch too but you didn't really get to see it a lot but she finds number five and instantly thinks i think what any person would instantly think is that she was the chosen one to meet the aliens so she she thinks number five is actually an alien coming down to greet her and have her introduce them to the the planet Earth as its ambassador, I guess, of sorts. Which instantly made me like her, like, right away. Like, A, I mean, A, she already loves animals, so, like, she's got good. But, like, the fact that she was like, oh, I have the chosen one. <laughs> I like her. I, I think she says something like, I always knew it would be me or something like that. Yeah. And she eventually learns how to get number five to come into her house and he keeps on asking for input so she hands him an encyclopedia and he reads 
every single book in her house and she eventually just for sanity's sake shows him the television you know that used to be a thing by the way i distinctly remember growing up always seeing infomercials for buying the encyclopedia britannica i think i actually had the set that she had in my house at one point in time i was like hmm that must have been handed over or you've had it in your family since the 80s because that hasn't been a thing in a while now. I know. It's gone now. I, I think we finally donated them. I don't know to where. <laughs> but like, part of me really wants to still have an encyclopedia set in my a physical, house. A physical Like a physical set. encyclopedia. Um, but man, wasn't it just amazing to get that downloadable encyclopedia for a while where you could just search? It was like before the internet was huge or before the internet was what the internet is today. But it it was like Google, but a Britannica encyclopedia, like you could go in and like type in what you wanted to find and you'd find the encyclopedia. Yeah, there it. was, there was, um, yeah, before Wikipedia and the internet really took off, I remember yeah. seeing computer programs that basically had that, um, which was kind of revolutionary. I was like, man, this will never take off. This will never take Being able to answer something at the tip of your finger is never going to take off. Yeah. Like, there's no money in this. What, you, no what are people doing? Oh, wait, advertising. Oh, right. Okay. So, mm. um, let's see. So, the next day, though, she discovers that number five is not an alien. He is actually a robot built by the horrible company Nova that she absolutely hates because she's a very stereotypical, like, Oregon person, I think. <laughs> Where, no, horrible, like, warmongers' hatred. And she contacts them about number five and says, hey, I got him. Is there going to be a reward? Because she needs money for land for her animals. She's about to get kicked out of her house because she is probably not following quite a lot of rules and regulations with the amount of animals yeah, that she has in that house. She's already been visited by someone from the city, apparently. Yeah. Like she's breaking like codes or something. Yeah. Should also mention that she does have a horrible jerk face of a ex-boyfriend as well. He does come into play a little later on, but horrible jerk face and ex-boyfriend. So as she says this, number five learns what death is when he accidentally kills a grasshopper. And number five makes a connection that if he goes to Nova, they're going to disassemble him and therefore he's going to die. And this is the first hint that number five is sentient. Because he has a fear of death. So, which is not something robots would typically have. No. Um, so that's the first indication that yeah, there is something. He is more aware now about what is going on with him. And, yeah, he has his first existential freak out, which I'm like, dude, join the club. Like That's like... <laughs> join the club, right? Yeah. I was like, no, that, it happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, it tries to get away, causes more trouble, uh, has a tendency to rip out car seats so that he can drive those cars. Yeah, it's, it's very hilarious. He Yeah, he can drive, um, does almost drive off a cliff, but um, Stephanie stops that. He does end up, because he almost drives off a cliff, being caught by Nova 
And they kind of make the promise that they're not going to disassemble him, but then it's clear that they are going to disassemble him. And during his transport back to Nova, he figures out how to a fix himself after getting shot up by Nova security and escape. And does he take the truck that time? Yeah, he takes the truck. He leaves. He leaves him on the side of the road and just takes the truck and goes back to his Stephanie. So during this time and because of his strange act, like actions, and I do believe because of what Stephanie says, um, Newton is trying to convince like Nova that he number five needs to be studied and not damaged basically because he's gaining a personality or or something or he's gaining sentience now like newton doesn't quite believe that he's living but he definitely thinks like we can't just destroy him like we gotta examine him and figure out what happened here because this is cool like he's like this is neat this is different like he's learning things he can drive a car like stuff like that so and then also within this time, you get kind of the hint that Stephanie and Newton might have feelings for each other, kind of. Like, there's there's a little bit of romance in this film. It's Not a very really. forced romance. It, it is. I don't hate it, but it is forced. <laughs> and I mainly don't hate it because I like romance. So, <laughs> And like, you like Steve Gutenberg. And I like Steve Gutenberg, and so... And you relate to Ali Sheedy a little bit. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's the animal thing and being very, very protective (laughs) of a robot that I just met. Definitely something I would do. And you (laughs) like R2-D2, so you already have an affinity for robots that roll. Yeah, R2-D2. Wally, honestly, Wally is my favorite robot. Wally, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so this is really your movie. This is really my movie. It really was made made for for me. I I really got into it, as you will know, when I react to something that happens later on. But... But, um, so, like, Newton kind of sort of goes off on his own thing and kind of sort of, like, almost gets fired by Nova. Actually, pretty much does get fired by Nova because he he doesn't want the security guys to just shoot up number five. Um, As that's happening, number five kind of sort of convinces Stephanie that Newton might be a good guy. And he convinces her to meet up with Newton. But naturally, Nova learns about this meetup. And it's it's basically a trap. Newton doesn't know about it, but it's a trap. So they meet up and they have a cute little date. Not date, but it's a date. And at a little diner. Hotel diner, I guess. I don't know what kind of yeah, it is. It said hotel or motel, some big inn or something at the... It was weird. It, it was an inn of some sort. Yeah, it, it was really weird. Oh, and then also during the time you get the scene where the jerk face ex-boyfriend tries to get the robot from Stephanie because there is now a reward, if you catch him, of $25,000, which is a lot of money in the 80s. Yes, it was. <laughs> now it's like pennies, but... <laughs> I mean, it'd be a lot of money for me today, but yeah. I know. I, I guess it, it would be a lot of money. It, it would, because I'm one of the lucky ones that doesn't have a huge student loan. Like, I would be able to pay off my student loan with that. That would be nice. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Um, he fails and number five disassembles, disassembles his car and it's great. And that's just a good, funny scene of him like using television lines against the boyfriend and all that. It's just, it's a wonderful scene. And he learned a lot about pop culture. He did. The three stooges. Yes. Yeah, you know what? Okay, so that brings me to a little bit of an aside. Yes. Um, growing up, I wasn't really exposed to the Three Stooges, but I had a lot of friends who were. Um, mm, I don't see. know if this is a race thing or not, um, but Three Stooges humor to me never really made sense. I wasn't a real big fan of that particular kind of physical violence or physical comedy. Um and Slap, slapstick, I think is what it's called. Slapstick, slapstick comedy. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I did like it in cartoons. I was a huge fan of Tom and Jerry, for instance, mm-hmm. and the, the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. I loved those. Those were great. Yeah. But the Three Stooges just never did anything for me. And I was wondering if that was just something wrong with me. No. Is it a cultural thing? Um. Uh, uh, it could be a cultural thing. So, like, slapstick was really popular comedies back in the good days. Um, I have watched Three Stooges. They're not my favorite slapstick. They're, like, probably my least favorite of the slapstick, which is kind of interesting because I feel like they've defined slapstick with how they are. My favorite – I do like some slapstick. My favorite – and they're still my favorite to this day – is Abbott and Costello. Okay. Well- they're the most famous for – if you've ever heard the – uh, who's on first joke? Yeah. That's Abbott and Costello. But they did like movies. Like they did spoofs of, I feel like you actually would like them. They do spoofs of monster films like The Wolfman yeah. and Frankenstein. I think I've seen them. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy and things like that. I think I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's my kind of slapstick where, yes, it has slapstick in it, but it's not the center of the humor. Yeah. They're more, I think those it's... guys are more like goofballs as opposed to like just constantly hitting each other. Maybe that makes the difference. They're more, I guess, yeah, they're more like clever jokes. Cause, like I said, like the whole who's on first thing, like, yeah, that's, I would, yeah, yeah, like it's just, it's who's on first is if, if you've never heard the whole who's on first, go and listen to the whole who's on first audience members. Cause it's just, it's a wonderful skit. Um, but I would say like the modern day Abbott and Costello would be like Key and Peel. Would okay, be yeah. like to me the most comparable to how their skits are, and I'm more thinking of like the skit of uh, the, the the substitute teacher that pronounces the white <laughs> names wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good. Like one. It's like that kind of humor, but okay, also yeah. slapstick. Yeah, I love Abbott yeah. and Costello. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I d- I do agree with you. The Three Stooges never hit right with me like it's funny but it's funny for like five minutes i can't watch an entire movie of it like and it's just the same thing over and over again um granted there's some some mad cat stuff that happens i know in some other things Mm -hmm. like and one of the big ones that they're known for this basically like a dinner party that just turns into like a big pie in the face to everybody basically yeah that's one of the things that I remember. But it, yeah, it's just that, that particular humor never really gelled with me. So yeah, watching that in this. and it, But it's weird because it feels like they have influenced a lot of people, a lot of works, and they get referenced a lot. I mean, we even had a mm-hmm. Three Stooges movie not too long ago. 
that I remember watching and I remember thinking this is kind of funny, but it still didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like they kind of suffer from the idea that they are straight up just slapstick humor. Like they kind of, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to call them the inventor of it. Cause I don't know if there was anybody before that was really great at slapstick humor. Cause it's just not something I've researched, but I feel like they're so iconic at it that they're too iconic and that other people have done it better since them kind of thing. I think that's why they seem cheaper now. I'm sure at the time they were hilarious, but at the time we were fairly, I don't want to say we were violent, but we were fairly entertained by violence at the time. I guess so. We're more tolerant to it, I suppose. It's well, it's weird because it's not like, because at the time, like everything was fairly what I would describe as violent, like cartoons were super violent and, slapstick humor was super violent and super abusive towards people but nowadays we have shows like game of thrones which shows blood and all that but it still to me almost feels less violent and i don't know why i'm probably the intent a lot of those were very mean-spirited you know like yeah each other it was just just bullying that's what it is like slapstick humor is very much like bullying like bullying your friends though because they're like are they friends (laughs) or are they brothers i can't remember but which I to me is like, eh, okay, <laughs> but like Daenerys burning down an entire like crowd of people. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. They're horrible people. Like they're not her friends, but I guess. Uh. <laughs> uh, wait, are we supposed to not talk about Game of Thrones anymore after that last season? I can't remember. But anyway. Well, um, it's going to come back and we're probably going to watch that new version too. So <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you can, in the future, you could probably hear our thoughts on it on our other podcast, Geeks Watch, which comes out every Sunday. Yeah. If we're not super busy. But generally every Sunday. We're actually pretty good at doing Geeks Watch. Uh, <laughs> so, cro- so, Number five learns that the meeting with Crosby and, well, Newton is what I've been calling him, but his actual name is Crosby. I just like the name Newton more than Crosby. Um, That Newton and Stephanie's little date meetup thing is a trap when he finds the other saint robots after him. And he captures them, turns them off, and reprograms them into the Three Stooges, which is great and hilarious. Especially when you get the eyeball out popping scene yeah. from one of them. Now, this at this point, I do also want to mention the robotics in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, as a kid, I was fascinated by robots. I mean, because what kid isn't? Yeah, it's true. And I love the beginning of the movie when they show you the robot being assembled. Because it's mm-hmm. like you're seeing you know, the actual technology. And it probably was a lot of the real working components that they used for these, because these were obviously remote controlled. Um, But the practical... I'm just going to add in, they also were the most like expensive part of the film. In fact, the rest of the film was pretty cheap other than the robots, especially number five. Yeah. Because all of this was made from scratch from the looks of Mm -hmm. it. I mean, aside from the stuff you can get off the off the, you know, shelf, like motors and stuff. I mean, everything else had to be programmed and whatever. So there was definitely a lot of craftsmanship and engineering that had to go into these basically movie props. Um, And I've always found that part fascinating. In fact, this movie and another kind of robot movie called 
batteries not included. Okay. And I think technically also Ghostbusters. They really are like the three fundamental movies that made me want to get interested in uh, prop making in Hollywood. Yeah. Because there was a short time where I thought, hey, maybe I could work in Hollywood and make movies because I love movies. <laughs> and I've always been fascinated by the art of making them. Um, and I was like, well, what could I do? I'm not really an actor. Um, I don't know if I could direct a movie just from what I saw. And this was me being a little kid, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I've seen enough to see like the stereotypical director like throwing his megaphone angrily at the ground when things aren't going his way or whatever. I was like, I don't know if I have the temperament for that. But I remember seeing um, they used to have a show on Discovery Channel called, um, I think it was Behind the Magic or something like that. And they talked a lot about behind the scenes work of like props and special effects. ILM was featured a lot in these yeah. uh, in yeah. these shows. Um, so I got to see a lot of how they made Star Wars, for instance, and I got to know a lot of the behind the scenes names like Stan Winston, Dennis Mirren, John Dykstra, you know, like all these masters mm-hmm. of, which side note, the robot was created or designed by Sid Mead, yep. who was the, I think production designer on Blade Runner and a few other famous movies. Tron. Tron. Yes. Thank you. Um, So yeah, that particular, the robotics just looks so functional in a realistic way. Um, And everything seems to make sense. And that's one of the most tricky things to do with something like this, because in most cases, like let's go back to the olden days of like forbidden planet, or lost in space, and you have a robot that's essentially just a giant like oil drum with like a glass fishbowl on its head, and there's and, like, clearly somebody inside that's waving its arms around. Yeah, and the arms are like the little tubes that yeah. are on your dryer vent. Just... Yeah. Um, <laughs> or for any British fans that might be listening to this, Daleks. You know, it's basically an upside down garbage can with a plunger for an arm. I mean, it's a very evil upside-down garbage can, but yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the fact that this was very functional, 100% practical. It's amazing. um, And it was expressive, too. Like, they talk about in some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff I've seen for this movie, I think also possibly on that show I was talking about, Mm -hmm. how the way that they nailed him, uh, Johnny Five or the robots, was by giving him those extra shutters for the eyes. Yeah, because that suddenly gave him eyebrows, and now he could squint. He could do like an angry, like mm-hmm. look, um, make his eyes really narrow. He, um, he can pick up a tool with him. Yeah, to, they were they were functional power too. Himself on, it was cool. He can make himself look sad, all that stuff. Yeah, and that's just yeah. from the eyebrows. That was the secret to that. And giving him the little camera shutters was cool because then they like he looks like his pupils were dilated when he's like in curiosity mode. He's like yeah. big doe eyes like Whoa. Wally. Yeah. Yeah. So that <clears throat> more than anything, my biggest takeaway from the movie, like I I didn't really care too much for the love story. I'll say that, you know, being a little kid, boy and all that, it's like, ew, whatever. <laughs> but the robots were fascinating. And especially yeah. more with part two where they have the little toy robots of Johnny Five. Aww. Yeah, there's a whole subplot. Now, interesting thing to note about the sequel, Short Circuit 2. Uh-huh. Um, there's a thing I'm working on 
little uh, sneak preview here. Ooh. But I, I'm, I'm writing an article about, and I still need to finish my last article. It's like way overdue. <laughs> but I'm writing an article about movie sequels that only featured one side character from the original. And mm-hmm. Short Circuit 2 fits exactly that. It only has... Oh, yeah. Ben, uh, right? Fisher Stevens, yeah. Yeah. As the, ben. the not Indian Indian. Yeah. yeah. Technically Johnny Five, but I mean, I don't... Like, I'm, I'm going to stretch it to be like, okay, this is not really an actor. It's just like a character. But only one actor from the original movie comes back in the actual movie. Another one would be Van Wilder 2, The Rise of Taj. Okay. Also has an Indian actor, except this one's real. Um and nice. uh, yeah, there's there's a whole list of these movies that I found fascinating. I was just thinking about this for one for one reason or another. And I was like, wait, That's are there any other sequels where only like one person came back and it wasn't even a main character? Yes, there are several. Yeah. So there'd be something about that coming out hopefully before like the I year's one, over. But I can't think of it. Oh, probably. There's tons. There's yeah. a bunch of these. I think Grease 2 only yeah. had Frenchie in it. That's what it is. Grease 2. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, I know there's a musical one. <laughs> um, yeah, so, only Frenchie is yeah. in that. There's um, some really weird ones like that. Where yeah. it's like, why would they even make a sequel? Like, why would they bring this one person back just to tie it to the original? Pretty much, yeah. That's why they do it in some yep, cases. Pretty, pretty much. Um, so... Oh, yeah. Okay, so number five makes him act like three stooges. He escapes and he saves Stephanie. And, but he still decides that Newton's going to have to be trusted. So they need to give get Newton fully on their side, even though Stephanie thinks that Newton was the reason why that place was a trap. It wasn't his fault, but she's going to think that. So, um, Number five captures Newton and takes him back to Stephanie and they're at like they're just out in the desert somewhere. I don't even know where they are at this oh, point. Like, I don't know where this is. Where is this? Because this set looked really familiar. Yes. This has been in several movies and TV shows. It's okay. Uh, it's one of my favorite locations just because of how overused it is but it just never gets old i feel like i uh, just saw it in zoe's infinite playlist like i or a set like it at least it might very well be um so this is a location in california mm-hmm. it is known as vasquez rocks natural area park okay and this is probably the most famous for having been in star trek the original series okay this is where Captain Kirk fights the Gorn, that lizard-looking monster. Yeah, okay, cool. And it's famous because it has those rocks that kind of go up at a sharp angle and then like yeah. kind of just stick there, and it looks very kind of foreign and alien. And uh, yeah, it's a place in L.A. Um, just kind of out there that just happens to look like that. And mm-hmm. it was also in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's where the two the two robot hey more robots the two robots from the future that come in to kill them take them to Vasquez Rocks and throw them off the top. Which yeah. side note in that same movie they watched that episode of Star Trek where the Vasquez Rocks are featured and Captain Kirk is fighting the alien. All right. So it all kind of ties in together. Um, it's I think most recently it was also in Star Trek uh, Picard. Um, as again, a meta reference to the original series, he goes there to that particular location and visits somebody that's living in some kind of house or hut out in the middle of nowhere. 
and it happens to be like in that place. Hmm. That's but, yeah, pretty that, cool. That place has been in so many different things. Uh, so many sets. I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer filmed something in there once. Um, Blazing Saddles, The Muppets, Dante's Peak, Amazon Woman on the Moon. Oh, oh the Amazon Angry Video Woman Game Nerd. Hail Caesar, The Fugitive, The A-Team, MacGyver. A lot of things. So many things. Yep. It's just one of those places that's in LA that it's like, why not go out there and do something there? You know, because it's such a crazy looking location and it's just yeah. right outside the city limits, basically. Wow. That's crazy. It's very pretty, too. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, they are here, which I forgot. And you mentioning like all these other things that. Uh, there was a film in this featured uh, Saturday Night Live Fever or Saturday Night Fever oh my gosh Saturday Night Fever um, and number five dances to scenes of it and then he dances with Stephanie and I completely bypassed that weird and awkward the robot is falling in love with the human scene but and she's going for it or at the very she, least she she's leading him on but it's well it's not even leading him on it's just more like you know, you just, you know, who doesn't want to dance with a friend? You know, like, I guess. Why does every like? Why does dancing have to be so sexual? But anyway, well, I mean, I'm I'm not more... jumping to that conclusion either. I know, but like, <laughs> it's it's just. <laughs> well, you say leading him on, like, <laughs> what is the next step, John? <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> Um, so like input. So we, we did for yeah. It was a really awkward scene. Like I don't know, but it's my favorite Beachy song that they dance to. So it I'll is. Allow it. it is a great song. It is a wonderful song to dance to. I will give you that. Um. So anyway, they're back on the rock, and this is where Newton decides to basically do his experiment to try to prove that. Well, I think he's actually trying to prove that he's not alive at first. But he's so impressed. And he does this in like some of my favorite ways. And although we're not like done with this, normally we do the question of the podcast after we finish the plot. But my question for this podcast is what do you consider being sentient, being alive? And I feel like this is probably a question you've had before because I know you and Mitch argue over this. Oh, yeah. He says nothing can be sentient if it's not a person. <laughs> See, that is so... So he doesn't think dogs are sentient? Um, As far as consciousness is concerned, I don't think so. I think it's... Um, I don't know. We should definitely bring him on and have this uh, sentience conversation. Have sentient point. conversation. Because, yes, we have, we have had several disagreements where it's like, if something is programmed, then that's all it is. It's just programmed. Which is what they say in the movie. Okay, A, if you're going to say that, though, then humans are also programmed, by the way. Yeah. We're all just brainwaves. Literally, little electron. We work the same as a computer does. Like, I think, And that's you know, where you have no. to define where sentience is. What makes humans... Alive, but a piece of bread not. <laughs> like it's just. I th I think it all comes down to his fear of animatronics. I think yeah. he just doesn't want to give them the the consciousness because that humanizes them. So when it's time to but, destroy them, he doesn't want to think of them. As but animals. now here's the thing, and this 
this movie, I think, does an excellent definition of what actual sentience might be. I do not think this movie makes me think any of the Disney animatronics are alive, no matter how amazing <laughs> they make them. I, even the new Spider-Man one that can do a flip and land, I don't think that that thing's alive. I do think that if if this movie was real life, I would consider number five alive. Yeah, I think so too. I, you know, and I think the reason why is because number five exhibits curiosity like that's and it. the desire to learn and basically up applies what it learns. Yeah. It, it, it goes beyond any original programming and actually, you know, does things on its own creatively. Like it yeah. didn't have to turn the other robots into three stooges, yeah. but it did so and it did so very well. Mm -hmm. So he's able to apply what he learns like with imagination. Yeah. It's, and I don't even think it's exactly just imagination. So to me, the proof is exactly what Newton describes at the proof is when Newton just tells a joke, not even a great joke. And he doesn't say it because my dad thought when we saw the scene, my dad thought it was a cheat because he thought Newton said, I'm going to tell you a joke, but he doesn't say that. He just straight up goes into the story of I can't remember a priest and a rabbi, one of those kinds of jokes. And he just straight up tells it and waits for number five to react. And number five's reaction after hearing the story and thinking about it is to laugh. He wasn't told it was funny. He wasn't told to laugh. He didn't know what it fully meant, but he still realized that it was humorous. And therefore he got to that conclusion with imagination curiosity and without programming too because the programming would have been if newton said i'm gonna tell you something funny then he's just reacting how he's supposed to react as he is programmed to react newton didn't say that short circuit short i was gonna call him short circuit number five came to that conclusion on his own to not even a great joke and realized it was funny so that like humor that probably is what sentient is to me. If you can find humor in life, that's sentience. Yeah. And I think the clearest example of that is when he chooses to insult one of the robots mm -hmm. by telling them that his mother was a snowblower. Yeah. Even as a child, I thought that was like, whoa, dude. Snowblower. What <laughs> was that? Like, that was hilarious. And that is what convinces Newton that, yes, number five is alive. He needs to be protected at all costs. And that is, of course, naturally when Nova arrives with their Hueys <laughs> to bomb number five. And number five does does the thing that made me very upset at first. I was literally <laughs> like, this is not what's happening, right? So he leaps, like, you know... um, Newton and Stephanie get taken by Nova security. They get pulled away from the van, leaving just number five in it. And he goes out. I was going to say guns a blazing, but he just kind of runs out and does a mad dash. He's getting shot at, but he can go 30 miles per hour. So he's beating their bullets. And then a helicopter comes out of nowhere and just like bombs them. And he dies. And I was literally like, what? I think I turned to my parents and I was like, wait a minute. Like, what, what am I watching? Because it was very dramatic. And I was very much like, is this real life? Like, what happened? Is this like, 
oh, I was sad. And then, and then literally like five, not even five minutes, but before the big reveal, I turned to my dad and I was like, he made himself another robot. <laughs> That's like what I was like, he had all the parts, the robots in that van. Like he made a decoy. <laughs> and like a minute after I said that they revealed, oh, he's, <laughs> he's in the van. I was like, ha ha. I was so happy. Now, yeah, you have the advantage of seeing this with the more adult brain. Um, six-year-old John <laughs> thought that he was, like, obliterated. He's dead. And I was like, babe, what? They can't do that. No, 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 no. This would have been six-year-old me, John. Like, I was this much of an optimist at six years old that I would, I literally turned to my six year old. So, okay, maybe okay, eight year old self. I turned into my eight year old self where I was like, the robot died. Like, this is like, what do you mean he dies? I looked at, and I looked at my mom. I was like, you said this was a good movie. Like you like this movie. And I was finally like, oh, like I was like a child, like, Oh, I know what he did. Like he made a new robot. Like that's the answer. Cause if it's not, I'm going to cry. Like, no, my takeaway was nope. The robot was right. Death comes for us all. Disassemble is inevitable. It's a very depressing thought for a six-year-old. Yeah, I was a very depressive kid. There's a reason why my nickname was Mopey for like ten years. Mopey. Yes, Mopey. Oh. There's a whole group of people that still call me that, even though I haven't seen them in forever. They still remember me as Mopey. I mean, do you like being called Mopey? No. Okay. All right. I just choice. Okay. I was like, some people end up liking their weird nicknames, but okay. I'm sorry. Then this is not this is not a cool nickname. However, Mm. nah, it's a stupid anecdote. I'm gonna move on from that. Okay. However, (laughs) yes, Johnny Five is alive. Johnny Five is alive. He pops up from the bottom of the thing, explains that he made a decoy robot, and Newton says to Stephanie that he's got 40 acres of land in Montana and he's going to take now Johnny 5 there cuz number 5 along decides with that Stephanie and all her wants animals a name. and along with Stephanie and all cuz first Stephanie was like well, what about my animals and I'm like girl 40 acres like come on see that's you the got only it covered. part this is the only part where I'm like, okay, you guys just met and okay, I'll buy that maybe there's some kind of a initial attraction. You don't just say, hey, let's move in together in my secluded ranch in the middle of nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's some serial killer stuff right there. Yeah, not in the 80s. But <laughs> no, we I didn't just... know what serial killers were in the 80s. Or no, we were just starting to learn what they yeah. were. Really, the 70s like... were still kind of leaving us in shell shock. Yeah, because like, it wasn't until the 90s that they did, it's 10 p.m., do you know where your children are? Kind of things. Yeah. So, um, No, my yeah. parents didn't care at that time. <laughs> it was like, hey. <laughs> If the lights are off, then you should be inside. You should be inside. Yep. Um, but yeah, Stephanie, it's a happy ending. Stephanie agrees to go with them, even though it's crazy. And number five asserts that his name should be Johnny Five, based off of the song that he heard earlier on the radio, Who's Johnny? Which is a song about him, because it's Which all about... A song about him. Trying to show that you're alive. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Um, yeah, there's... Their short circuit. Um, I do, although I do like some romance, I will say their romance does cheapen this story quite a bit. Like, this could have been a really complex, not complex, like, it could have been a really good story about what is sentience. (laughs) 
and instead it's kind of like plays the line of going there but then doesn't (laughs) see this time around i was more curious about why stephanie had such bad taste in men because apparently the guy that she was with at the beginning isn't the only jerkwad to be just completely disrespecting her left and right apparently there's there's been a whole string of them Here's, here's the thing like a lot of men especially in the 80s were jerks because that's what society told them they could be they, because they, they have instilled it. privilege especially See, if here's there the is other a part. lot of white men like it's here's just... the other part of that problem though i could see yes. clearly that stephanie is a nurturer and she likes to take care of things especially broken things yeah I bet you she gravitated towards damaged men yes. and yes. then let them walk all over her i do absolutely agree with that like stephanie definitely is the type to be that woman that will say but I can change him. And honey, no, like you can't <laughs> just, it's no, just, just stick to the uh, like loose animals out there. Yeah. Stick to the animals. We don't need men anymore. <laughs> this is true. There's some remarkable advances in technology. And I wouldn't I be surprised if Elon Musk is trying to get in on that market. Life uh, finds a way. Said by the most beefiest that Jeff Goldblum ever was. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I forgot. After you said your your little um, nickname story, I figured I could I could share my the nickname that I got that I hated in middle school because I wore a Billabong hoodie. I was called Bill's Bong because apparently one of my friends had a friend named Bill and he had a bong. So that was my middle school nickname that I hated. You became Bill Bong. Bill's Bong. Bill's Bong. Or Billabong. <laughs> but because uh, I wore a well, green Billabong hoodie for like two years and I think I washed it like three times. Just kidding. I washed wow. it more than that because my mom would have been horrified. So she would <laughs> steal it and wash it. <laughs> but, so on the topic of, of unwanted nicknames, one of my nicknames in... I think fourth grade was Bat Freak. Bat, but, now, but this like was, now Batman, Bat Freak, or like yes. bats. Okay, boring. So the reason being <laughs> is that so the 1989 Batman movie came out and I loved it. I thought it was great. The 89 one is the one with Penguin, right? No, uh, that was the one with the Joker. The Joker. Penguin, I think, was 91, 92. Um, so that first movie came out. It was a huge hit. Um, that was right around the time where I found out I needed to wear glasses. So mm-hmm. I went to the optometrist. They say, pick out some frames. I yeah. found some frames that look kind of cool. Um, and they had a little on the, the demo glass that they have, which obviously didn't have a prescription. It had mm-hmm. a little Batman symbol on it. And I was like, oh, oh these cool. are cool. They have like a Batman symbol on it. I, they, they called to me. I'm like, these are the glasses, you know. So I said, okay, let's get these. Now, keep in mind, I needed glasses, so I wasn't seeing things very clearly. Mm-hmm. When I got them back, people started calling me, hey, Batman, or Bat Boy, which Bat eventually Boy. became Bat Freak. Yes. Bat Freak. I was like, why is everybody calling me Bat Freak all of a sudden? And then somebody pointed out, well, it's because you have Batman on your glasses. And I was like, I do? Where? Because... <sighs> That Batman logo was them. only on the demo. Yes, I couldn't see the Batman logo. <laughs> they were on the hinges of the glasses. Oh. There was a, a a gold Batman symbol on each side. Oh wow! 
And I didn't realize that. And it wasn't until somebody pointed it out and I had to kind of like really squint at it. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> it's I not like you like, could even get the right angle to see it while you're wearing them. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, gosh. Like, like even in a mirror. No, like I had to kind of like really put it up to my face to kind of like, I was like, oh. You should have sued the company and be like, I have, my <laughs> eyes are too blind to see the for all, for all my, my mental anguish. Now, <laughs> similar to that, um, a little bit older. Now we're in freshman year of high school. Yeah. Freshman year yep. of high school. So this was right around the time that the game Star Fox had come out on yeah. Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I love Star Fox. That yeah. game blew my mind when it came out. And um, they had this promotional where you can get a Star Fox game watch. Game watches started to become like a big thing back then. Because it was like, oh my god, I'm playing a video game on my watch. Yep, it was like cheap leds but you know still whatever so you could only get the star fox one as far as i knew from the cereal like you had to buy like six boxes of whatever it was at the time send in the proofs of purchase and you'd get a watch one of my friends did that um Mm -hmm. daniel who's also been on the geeks watch before not the geeks watch yeah he was on the geeks watch he did the overtime with us on black widow um yeah he he did it and he got like six of them in the mail by accident. Mm-hmm. They must have, the machine must have messed up or something. I was Whoa. like, oh, dude, awesome. Lucky. So I, I sent mine. I only got one. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, so this was like towards the end of eighth grade when this happened. So come freshman year of high school, I'm still wearing my Star Fox watch because why not? You know, it's, I, it's, it's fun. It tells the time. I can play yeah. Star Fox in mm-hmm. a very limited way. Well, I don't have any problems with it until I start taking Woodshop. Oh, and there's no. a lot of there's a lot of meatheads in Woodshop. There's a lot of gang members and there's a lot of like football players in in this class. This is the yeah. class that people take just to get an easy A, apparently. I thought, hey, I'm gonna learn how to make a birdhouse or a cutting board or something. Um so uh-huh. Everybody immediately gravitates. And I realized that high school is a lot like prison. <laughs> like, people like to find your weakness and exploit it. Yes. And take advantage of you in any way they can. Like, Life. right underneath, like, the superiors, like, watch. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, I became Star Fox in that class. And You went from <laughs> Bat Freak to Star Fox. Well, at that point, I didn't have the Batman glasses anymore. Okay. I think I sanded them off. I, I got, like, a file, and I just, like... Sh- shaved it off till you can yeah. see it anymore because it wasn't like a part of the frame like painted on or anything it was like an actual like embellishment oh okay it was like glued on to the frame that's why huh. it made it even worse it looked like cheap jewelry or something oh. um so yeah i meant that, that stigma of bat freak still stayed with me though and like this was when it was not cool to be a nerd guys like that's one thing you have to remember there was a very yeah. long time where being a nerd or a geek or having any kind of fandom was a reason to be ostracized in high school or in a regular school. So yeah. the, 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 the Star Fox watch caused so much controversy mm-hmm. um, because everybody was like, dude, you're in high school. Like that's little kid shit. Like basically it's like, you need to grow up. And I'm like, dude, I like it. Why should I? Why do I need to grow up? Yeah. So just like people in social situations look for any reason to like i don't know i think it's instinctual i have this theory that bullying is part of our natural primitive system in that we try to weak out weed out the weaklings to keep the tribe strong 
Obviously, we don't need to do that anymore because we're supposed to be a civilized society. But I just think it's something that's hardwired into our brains to try to find what is the weakness in our collective and try to get it out because we don't want that. It's maybe that, but I honestly think it's more, especially nowadays, it's more um, not wanting to deal with your own weakness. So you exploit the weakness of others. Is actually what it is. It's more your insecurities and you put them on other people. Like those kids probably thought that your watch was something that they wish they had. Like they wish they actually got all the why? Why voice? Um (laughs) they wish they got all the box tops, but they never did, or they didn't buy that cereal band or whatever, and they were like jealous of you for being able to have one. But they're not gonna say that because they're in high school now and they gotta be cool and yeah, you know. Or, it caused a lot of problems, though, because eventually when they saw that it wasn't bothering me, because I was always told, like, don't encourage bullies, just ignore them and they, they'll leave yeah. you alone. So I would. No, it made them angrier. Yeah. Like, they started messing with my projects. They started messing with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, um, I was looking down at something on the table and I heard a loud whack. And then the, the guy sitting in front of me, across from me, said, ow. And I was like, I looked up. And there was this like six to eight inch piece of wood uh-huh. that somebody had thrown from across the room trying to hit me in the back of the head. Oh my God. And it, and it curved and it hit the guy in front of me in the forehead. And he had this like perfect right angle, like bruise oh. and bump on his forehead. And like the teacher was like, I didn't see anything. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, he 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 was a big supporter of the jocks. That guy was like, if you, like if you can't handle I'm it here, you, know, you, know, you can always drop the class." Basically, I'm it was so like, sorry. You know, we don't have room for weaklings. That's well, that's just that's just one of many fun yeah. stories from yeah. our youth here. But um, yeah, there's just an uh, interesting dynamic that happens in social situations and gatherings. And yes. this has absolutely nothing to do with short circuit, but it's an interesting sidetrack into uh, yeah. nicknames that people get. <laughs> yeah, um, a very interesting sidetrack. Um, I would like to note the whole ignoring bully thing obviously actually does not work. It will just aggravate them more, especially. Well, it kind of depends on the reason why they're bullying you. If they're bullying you because of their insecurities, you are just going to anger them because they are expecting you to react this way and not. Yeah, they see it as disrespect, which is even worse, apparently. But I will note that, I mean, and I especially like, I only work with early childhood children, but so like not necessarily high schoolers. I still have to learn a little bit about how high schoolers work um, because I could work with like school age kids, but. Um, but I will note that the new change in ending that is like any bad behavior is actually a cry out for help. So, and that's what you need to do. People who bully, people who get bullied, they need to be helped. They shouldn't just be written off as they're bad or they're good. It's everybody needs a bit of help so sometimes. I, and thank gosh we're I not in that have, world anymore. But. What I should have done is I should have gifted every one of those bullies their own Star Fox watch and told them it's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not necessarily that. A, I would like to know it is not a child's job to help another <laughs> child. And yes, high schoolers are still children. Um, so it is that teacher that should have stepped up and done something. But anyway, I remember that is he neither the same, here nor there. <laughs> he he had the same name as the as um, Keanu Reeves' character from Speed. It was Jack something. I can't remember what it was, but I was, everybody used to say, "Hey." Um, 
you were in speed or you were the inspiration for speed, weren't you? Oh, gosh. And he would just go along with it. Yeah. I can't remember what the last name was, but that's the only part of it that sticks to my mind. You know, I think, like I said, that teacher was probably a bully growing up, too, because he definitely took the side of the bullies. Yeah. I will say I do have faith in the upcoming generations that they're a lot better at recognizing their emotions because we're teaching it at an earlier age. Um, and our, I mean, bullying is always going to exist. It's always going to exist, but I, I think they'll, they'll handle things better or they'll bully about things that are even worse. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. We got very personal on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Short circuit. Definitely a gem. It has been rebate. It's called Chappie. Same thing. Oh, I haven't seen Chappie yet. I need to see Chappie. Yeah. Basically, robot becomes sentient. Is it happy too? Mm. Oh, I don't like that face. Mm. Well, it's from the director of District 9. So if you think <gasps> District 9 has a happy or at least hopeful uh, ending, then you will might, might take I, a positive. I will say it has a hopeful ending, but I am okay. really sad for the dude in District 9 at the end. But I'm like, yeah. <laughs> at least he's picking. Doesn't he pick a flower? At the, I don't even know. <laughs> it's been a while. That was a good movie. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we don't need to come up with the drink because this movie has one. It's a gin and tonic with a twist of lime, shaken and not stirred. Well, a gin and tonic should have lime in it. But <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is the drink for it. Um, <laughs> kind of want a gin and tonic right now. That actually was one of the drinks I would drink every once in a while when I went to bars until I discovered my love of whiskey over gin. Mm-hmm. So. There we go. Uh, I do also agree that this is a gem. It is not the best gem. It definitely could be improved. I would say it. I mean, I get to get Chappie already exists. You're right. Yep. Chappie already exists. I need to see Chappie if it is an actual good retelling of Short Circuit. Although I'll trust you on that. It's, um, I mean, in spirit, it's this very yeah. similar. It's the plot details are different, but um, it's very well made movie. Uh, that director does special effects really excellently, mm-hmm. and he's voiced by the same guy who was the lead in District Nine. So, if you like yeah. Charles Copley, is his name? I like his um, voice. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much him. He sounds he he does sort of like an almost childlike voice, though. He's like. Huh. He I'll calls the one of the characters daddy, but he says it in like his slightly uh, Southern African accent. So mm-hmm. I was like, hey, daddy. Like, it's, it's ah, really funny. That's cute. Um, so yeah, let's see. What's another thing we ask? Yeah, definitely a gem. Kind of already being redone. I don't think would be redone very well as it is. Like, mm-hmm. as a military presence in it. Like, I don't, I don't think I could see this happening nowadays. Like, a perfect redo. Of it. Yeah, that type, that type of military portrayal is uh, not in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. Um, but the most important question is, does this movie Star Wars? I was going to say, does it Star Wars? I didn't catch a lot of things. Did you catch anything? I didn't see any overt references to anything here. Um, okay. Maybe potentially something hidden in there. But you would think... I mean, it has lasers. <laughs> Yeah, but Star Wars doesn't really have lasers. Um, they have laser bolts and they have lightsabers, but neither really fall into the category of lasers because a laser beam 
would be something different. Not until Attack of the Clones do you actually have real lasers, interestingly enough. Yeah, on the um on the clone walker, so not the ATAT, but like the clone version of the ATAT. They do have that laser turret thing on them, like Mm -hmm. and I can't remember what that turret was called, even though I quite often used it on um Star Wars Battlefront. Battlefront, yeah. (laughs) That's a cool weapon. That was a cool weapon. Just like I was really good with a sniper on those games, though. But yeah, I want to say for, for a, a late 80s sci-fi movie featuring robots, mm-hmm. um, not even a reference to R2-D2, which I thought they would have done because I've seen that in other movies is where they referenced a random robot. They'll call him like R2-D2 or something. I've seen that before. So Yeah. So it does not does not Star Wars. It does not Star Wars. It does Which, not pass the, the Star Wars test. Well, yeah. One of the few of the 80s movies we've watched that did not Star Wars. All right. So let's see. If anyone wants to talk to you about... Well, maybe if anyone out there did notice if it's Star Wars, where can they reach you at, John? Uh, you can talk to me about all things Star Wars and childhood trauma and bullying on Twitter. I am at Magic Bollocks. And if you <laughs> wanted to talk to me about being named after drug devices, um, paraphernalia, <laughs> drug paraphernalia, <laughs> you can contact me on Twitter as at JM Bailey Writes. Um, archives of this podcast and other podcasts that we are in you can find on our website geekelitemedia.com uh, you can also find us as at geekelitemedia on twitter and instagram and facebook.com forward slash geekelitemedia uh, we do also have a patreon page so if you have a couple bucks that you would like to share you can get exclusive access to some fun conversations we occasionally have about just random side story things like what, what was that? if you if you had a version of Thor's hammer where you had an item that would always come back to you what would that be I know that was I think that was an exclusive on our Patreon it was I remember while. that one I was on yeah. that one yeah I was on that one it was a good one um so we have funny stuff like that um, we still haven't seen the Muppet uh, Avengers though yes yes we are holding on for the Muppets Avengers <laughs> um, if you listen to our Journey into Mystery podcast with Mitch and Ian and always a random guest um, you you should know about the Muppet Avengers <laughs> joke going on with that one um, yeah you, you can find those on our Patreon page Geekly Media uh, uh, as always Wherever you're listening to this, (laughs) please be sure to click the subscribe button, like it. If you're on YouTube, comment on it. Yeah, just just do all those things. It's really great. It ups our algorithms and it gets our podcast out there to more people. And we will forever love you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) It's a lot of stuff to say, John. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do a podcast after you work 10 hours. That would be my biggest suggestion to to people out there. Um, Anyways, thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best. (laughs) Always remember to geek Geek out. out. Oh my gosh, where did that go? 
This concludes our broadcast. 